everybody doing this morning? Got two guys doing good. That's awesome. Um, yeah, good, good, man. What a day, man. I love coming to church when I, when I know there's baptisms about to happen, right? Now, wasn't, there, wasn't there awesome stories that were told this morning? Isn't that awesome to hear? Now, I'm telling you, God is moving uh, in mighty ways around us in, in, this, in the life of our church. Um, if you don't know me, my name is Michael Page. If it's your first time here, which there's, there's probably a good chance that it is your first time here because uh, we have uh, a baptisms today, a lot of family coming in for, to visit and to see, to witness the, the baptisms and things. Uh, but I just want to welcome you because I, I love getting able to, to worship with you. I love getting able to just share with you what God's doing in the life of our church, in the life of our body, and what he's doing around the world, man, because I'm telling you right now that if you're here today, you're being consistently prayed for. Every week, we have, uh, we have a prayer team that's praying over the, on every, the body. They're praying over these seats. They're praying over your family. They're praying over uh, the life of this church, and our main prayer every morning is that you would see and experience Jesus in a real way, because let's be honest. You don't need me up here. You don't need a band. What you need is a touch from Jesus. You need, you need the Lord to come into your life and to, and to move in your life and to, and to open your eyes to areas that your eyes have not been opened before. And that it's not meant to be a place where you're, you're, you're coming to a, a you're, you're making decisions and living your life on the path of least resistance, but you're living a life that's completely surrendered to the Lord no matter the cost. And that's the heart we're seeing in this book of Acts that we're going through right now. And if you look, what we see is we believe that every member of the church is a missionary. That's what Kaylee was saying. She was like, you get saved, you get baptized, and you're sent. That's what we're called to do as a body. And so what that means is we have to be consistently dependent on the leading of the Holy Spirit. We believe that every person in these seats, every person in the world has a purpose. And God, once he, once he redeems their souls, is sent out with specific gifts and, and abilities to do what he's called them to do. And our heart is that you would get plugged in into that mission. If you're just here today... And one of the common themes you heard in every one of those testimonies is that I, I, was, I might have been a Christian or I might have got saved when I was younger or, or I, I might have done this or that or I might have been here or there. But when God moved in my heart, I had to change. I had to get up and move. I could not stay where I was at. And it's in my heart today as we go into Acts chapter 7, if you want to go ahead and turn there, we're going to start a little bit into Acts chapter 6, but we're going to, we're going to, go, um, we're going to hit Acts chapter 7 pretty heavily. But what I want you to see is that the mission of God is bigger than us. It's bigger than us, and it's going to take us as a body becoming more and more committed to seeing the, this body unified and built up to maturity like we see in Ephesians 4 so that we can work together, so that we can work together to see the, Jesus' mission carried out, the Great Commission carried out, to see our communities reached with the gospel, to see unreached nations reached with the hope of the gospel. Because let me tell you, if you're a part of this body, today, if you, if you call Connection Home, if you're heart and soul, how incredible is it, will it be to look back over the course of 5, 10, 20 years from now and see our communities look different, completely different, or see the, the city that we live in completely different, or, or, or what if it's, what, what God did here, man, what did he do, what, what would it look like to see hundreds of unreached nations reached for the gospel? How incredible would that be? To look back and say, look what God did. Look what God did. And, the, and, and this is the funny thing. As I read scripture, there's only one ingredient for that to happen. There's only one thing that needs to happen for that to happen. And it's literally you humbling yourselves before God as your king and surrendering everything to him to see his name glorified in all the earth. That's it. 
Not just talking about it like we like to do in America. Not just talking about it or talking a good game, but actually taking steps of obedience to see the Great Commission accomplished as we read about it in Scripture. And this is why we're in this series right now called Witness. We're working through the book of Acts, looking at where the... How, how God meant for the church to function, how it meant for the church to live, how it meant for the church to preach the gospel, to live out their faith in front of the world. Last week, we started a two-part story of the life of Stephen in Acts chapter 6, and we saw three things that were very paramount to our faith. The first one was the mark of true, of true faith in Christ is service. If you're saying, hey, I'm a Christian, I love Jesus, I'm going to spend eternity with him, I'm going to live my life for him. That means the thing that, that, that describes your life the most is that you're a servant, that you serve other people, that you love people, that God has, has so affected your life that you begin to pour out your life for other people because that's all that you know how to do because you've felt and you've experienced the love of God inside of you. The second thing was the word of God is central to the mission of God. And this is the bad thing about our culture sometimes is, is, is we claim to know Jesus, we claim to love Jesus, but when it comes down to it, we just don't know that much about Jesus' heart. We may know the facts about, you know, the stories of the Bible. We may know the facts about the, the things we learn in Bible school here and there, but when it comes to the Word of God, knowing Scripture, letting Scripture change us, when it comes to memorizing the Word or applying the Word, some of us are in pretty dangerous waters when it comes to that. Do we know the truth? The third thing is that God uses ordinary people to carry out his mission. Isn't that awesome? That's good for me. I, I hope it's good for y'all. Because I'm just an ordinary guy. And so if God wants to use me to do his work, hallelujah. I'm, excited. I'm pumped about that. Because, I, yeah, it's awesome. We'll talk later. All right, so today we're going to be in the second part. But before that, we're going to be in Acts 7. We're going to pray. Because we just want to ask God to touch us. We just want to ask God to come in this place and, and heal hearts to redeem souls, to move on our behalf, to see his kingdom come in this place and his will be done in this place. Because without that, guess what? Nothing else matters. And so let's pray this morning. Father God, we love you. God, I pray your, your presence will be felt in this place this morning, God, because you told us you'd be with us so we don't have to invite you in because you're here. God, I pray that you would just make your presence known to us this morning. God, I pray for the heart this morning that is hard, the heart that is this morning that is unforgiving or bitter, God, or is living in sin or, or struggling, God, or going through some sort of persecution or trial in their life. God, I pray that you would just speak truth to them and let them know that it's not over. God, that you would just give them new life. Father, I pray that you would just preach through the life of Stephen this morning to our hearts. God, that we would see what following you requires. God, we would see what following you, um, what, it, what it means for our lives. And so, Father, I pray that you would just come and be blessed this morning. God, that you would bless us with your presence. God, that you would be glorified in everything that happens here this morning. We just love you, and it's in your name I pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to look first, we're going to start for some context in Acts chapter 6, verse 8 through 15, and we're going to go all the way through verse 1 of chapter 7. So y'all follow along with me, and we're going to do a review on Stephen's life. Okay, so here we go. Verse 8. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Okay, some back, backtrack for a second. Back in verse 6, we learn that Stephen was just an ordinary layman. He was a member of the church that served widows food. That was it. He wasn't some apostle. He wasn't a church leader. He wasn't somebody who even led a Sunday school class. He was just a regular guy who was doing what God had told him to do. 
but it describes him as a man full of grace and power, and he performed many miracles and signs among the people. Verse 9, opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it is called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Sicilia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified. Does that remind you of anybody else? This fellow never stopped speaking against his holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs of Moses handed down to us. Okay, I could preach about that, but I'm going to keep going. Verse 15, all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. It's the presence of God is on Stephen. Verse 1, then the high priest asked Stephen, are these charges true? And so for the next 48 verses, we're going to read about Stephen He's using the history of Israel, of Abraham, of, of Isaac, and Jacob, and David, and all these people, all the way up to Jesus, to rebuke the whole nation of Israel for rejecting God over and over and over and over and over again. God would come in, save to David. That was, guess what? They were rejecting. God would come in, redeem them. Guess what? They would reject him again. God would come in and love them, say, it doesn't matter. I love you. I'm renewing my covenant. They'd reject them over and over and over again. And then in verse 51, if you want to flip over, if you have your Bible, verse 51, Stephen's reply after all of this, he says, you stiff-necked people, you're stubborn, your hearts and your ears are uncircumcised, you are just like your ancestors, you always resist the Holy Spirit. How much boldness would it take for somebody to stand up before the religious leaders of their day and say this? Was there ever a prophet or ancestor that you, excuse me, was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one, Jesus. And now you have betrayed and murdered him too. You who have received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed in at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep and Saul approved of their killing him. And so we see, we're going to jump right in this morning and on, on this, and we're not going to waste much time. But what you see, there's two or three things that we need to unpack through this scripture. The very first one is, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, which I pray most of you are, but if you're not, guess what? I want to give you an opportunity to walk into that relationship today because one thing that I know is in America, everybody associates with Jesus, but very few people follow Jesus. And so what I want you to hear this morning is if you follow Jesus Number one is your life will be lived in conflict with the world around you. Your life will be lived in conflict with the world around you. If you have surrendered your life to Christ, 
Listening to Nick's testimony about, about what God did in his life brought me to tears. That, that surrendering that happens, him, him saying, it's not me anymore, it's Jesus. I'm dead to myself. It's all him. I'm a living for him. I don't matter what I want anymore. It matters what Jesus wants. It matters what this word says. It matters what I'm walking out to live my life for him. If you've surrendered your life to Jesus, the world is not going to understand your life. If, you, if the world does understand your life, something is wrong. If the world understands how you spend your money, how you, how you live your life, how you, the decisions you make, if they understand everything you do, something is wrong. Scripture tells us in John that someone who is following Jesus will live a life that is in direct contradiction to the world around them. You can look at John 15. John 15, verses 18 through 25. It says this. It says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. That's, that's, that's a scary sentence right there. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why you, the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teachings, they obey yours as well. And so you have to hear this. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I, have not, if I had not done them among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. And so that doesn't mean that, that Christians are going to go around and thumb in their nose at society. That means a Christian is, going to, is, is more concerned about holiness in their life than happiness. A Christian is more concerned about being obedient to their father than comfort. Are you tracking with this? A Christian is, is, is meant to be lived, living in submission rather than having control. Because we relinquish our control to Jesus, he uses us to, to reach the nations through our lives. And as we read Acts 6 and Acts 7, what I see in Stephen's life is he is so kind and gracious and he, he's winsome and he's, he's a servant and he wins the hearts of the priests who were murdering Jesus. And then he gives this rebuke in chapter 7 that is so strong. It made another group of religious leaders want to murder him because he was speaking truth. And you see, truth and love in Stephen's life, and then you hear it from his mouth. You see him living and speaking truth. You see him living and speaking love. But the thing is, Stephen looks at these people and says, you are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in your heart. But then as they are stoning him, what does he say? He says, God, don't charge this sin against them as another stone comes in. Don't charge this sin against them as another stone comes in. They don't know what they're doing, Lord. He was so focused on the love of Jesus, he didn't care about stones coming at his face because he cared about his Lord and he cared about pleasing him. And this morning, that's our heart is to see that truth, truth and this is where a lot of people live, they'll, they'll hear me. Truth without grace is fundamentalism and it's abrasive. Truth without grace is fundamental, fundamentalism and it's abrasive and it's harmful to your testimony. Grace without truth enables sin. Grace without, grace without truth enables sin, and it has no power without the truth. So they work in unison. And it's important that you see, if you speak with grace and truth, the world will hate you. 
no matter how much grace and love you have. Because truth is going to push against the desires of a sinful world. And we have to see as a Christian, we have to ask ourselves the question, are, are we wanting, are we desiring, are we looking for the world's affirmation? Are you trying to buy the next thing that's going to make you fit in with everybody else? Are you trying to live your life like everybody else does on your street? Are you trying to keep up with your friends on this? Are you trying to do this? Or are you saying, God, here's my life. You do with it what you want. I don't care. I'm just going to say yes. Here it is. My yes is on the table. I'm going where you want me to go. All right, tell me where. Or are we putting conditions on the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings and the one who, who we're called to follow? Because here's a newsflash. If you're out to find the world's affirmation, if you're going to follow Jesus, you're not going to get it. So stop looking. <laughs> it's not going to happen. People aren't going to be like, you know what, man? We, it, it's not going to happen. Jesus said in John 15, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. They're going to call you arrogant and hateful and a bigot and all these different words as you try to live out the truth and as you try to live out the grace that God's given you. And don't get me wrong on this. We should always be examining our heart. We should always be examining our hearts and saying, am I being hateful? Am I being arrogant? Am I being, am I, am I, am I being a bigot right now? Am I being this way? Or, God, are, are, you leaving, are you leaving your truth in my heart? Am I speaking this to other people gracefully? And is, am I doing it obediently? But you're also going to love people, and you're going to return good for evil, and you're going to serve people, and you're going to refuse to be bitter at them, and you're going to ask God forgiveness for those people, and you're going to love them with a love that Jesus gives you. Because guess why? What does it say in the very last little sentence? And Saul approved of their killing. So Saul, who is now Paul in, in chapter 9, you're going to see Paul become the greatest evangelist the world has ever known. And he was at this stoning. And what you need to see, some of the people that you're going to come in contact with like Saul, will see the beauty of your testimony and they'll respond to, to your persecution, how you respond to persecution, and they'll come to Christ, but the rest are going to keep pelting you with stones. And both of those are okay. But, the, but what we are called to do as children of God is rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord always that you have been counted worthy to face persecution as you associate with the Lord to the point of persecution. That should be a rejoicing thing for us. But stay faithful in the face of persecution. Revelation 2, verse 10, the church of Smyrna was being persecuted. Uh, and, and, and this is what God said in, in here at the very end. He says, be faithful. Be faithful even to the point of death. All you're like, I'm out, <laughs> right? Listen, be faithful even to the point of death. What is it talking about, guys? Listen to this. This is Jesus talking to the church in Smyrna. Be faithful to the point of death, and I will give you, I'll give you life as your victor's crown. How amazing is it going to be to stand before Jesus on the last day and have lived our lives to the point where our faith has become sight, and God gives us a victor's crown for being faithful to his son as we live our lives for him. I'm not talking about an association with him where you were you just you kind of pray here and there. You kind of try to do good here and there. I'm talking about being obedient and loving God the way Jesus has called us to love him because that is uncommon in our culture today. The second thing, the second thing I see that we need to unpack is Stephen was faithful to God. Can we, can we agree with that? Stephen was faithful to God in this, in this chapter, but he still died. <laughs> and 
Something's not right here. <laughs> this, don't, this don't seem right to the, to the American gospel that I read sometimes in, in churches. Like, Stephen was faithful, but he died. That, is that weird to anybody else or just me? Because I was reading, I was like, God, this is weird. Like, I, don't, I can't preach this. This is crazy. No? But listen, Stephen was faithful to God, but he still died. This is so weird. Listen, this destroys, this story about Stephen destroys the prosperity gospel. It's gone. Prosperity gospel, out. Give and you'll get. You'll be blessed. Give and you'll, you'll receive tenfold. Get, come to Jesus and your life will be easy. Okay, if you've ever followed Jesus and you've ever followed him the way he's called you to follow him, you know that life will not get easier as you follow Jesus. Your, your reward comes after this life. Your reward comes when you see Jesus face to face and the treasures you stored up in heaven. God doesn't call people to come to him for prosperity. He calls us to come to die to this world so that he can come alive in us so that we can live for him so other people can see him that need him. God's plans for your life, God's plans for my life, God's plans for this church, far. I, when I say far, I, it's because I'm simple and I don't have the words. If I could think of a word that would just be infinitely, maybe, maybe that's better, you know, is, is infinitely exceeding the limits of my understanding. God's plans for your life infinitely exceed the, the limits of your understanding. God's sovereignty works, at, works out. It, God's sovereignty works outside of time. God's sovereignty works outside of your 80 or to 100 years. God's sovereignty works outside of anything that you can think of. The things you're going through right now, think about it. Some of you may be going through some crazy stuff that you can't wrap your mind around. Why am I going through this? God, why have you put me in this place? Why am I dealing with this, this situation? Why am I going through this hurt? God, why am I crying myself to sleep? God, why is this happening? Why did they leave? Why did they die? What is happening? Why are they treating me this way? Why am I getting treated this way, God? There's things that you can't wrap your mind around. I can promise you they're meant to bring God glory, no matter how they look to you. Stephen, he knew this. Stephen, had, he sat at the apostles' feet. He learned the gospel. He learned the words of Scripture. He learned the testimonies of the disciples and what Jesus had done. And he was okay with whatever outcome God brought to his life because he had seen Jesus. He had seen who he was. In the face of death, Stephen was so focused on the glory of his king that what did he say? As stones were coming at his face, he looked up and said, Look, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God the Father. I would have been like, don't throw another stone at me, please. Listen, this, is, this man was so focused. He didn't see the persecution. He saw God and his plan being worked out for his glory. Isn't that great? That's the heart behind this, this whole entire story. Because when you genuinely submit to God, Jesus as king, it changes the possibilities in every situation in your life. When you say, hey, Jesus, you're king. Whatever I, whatever I am, it's you now. Whatever you want me to do, I'm going to walk in that. Guess what happens? Everything in your life just got opened up. The, the, the possibilities are endless. You're going to look at your life in 10, 15 years. You're going to be like, man, I started going to that connection church. We started talking about Jesus, and I don't know what happened, but 10 years ago, I never thought I was here. Chris told a testimony. He said, I was a drug mule. Now I'm baptizing my wife. Jesus is about redemption and about restoration. It's important we see that. So this morning, it's important that we understand that Listen, why didn't, why didn't God bless Stephen and say, you know what, Stephen, you've done so good, your life, you're never going to have to suffer again. Why didn't he do that? Here's your reward, grow. Here, here, your ministry's going to grow. More people are going to come. More resources are coming your way. Um, we're going to multiply your days. You're going to live to be 119 because you can't live to be 120. Go read Genesis. All right, listen. He did. He did. He did bless Stephen. 
He blessed him far beyond anything you can imagine. He gave him an upgrade to heaven. Listen, it's amazing what he did, and it's amazing what happens when your perspective changes from earth, earthly blessings being, being greater than, than heavenly blessings. That means, your, that means your perspective needs to start shifting a little bit. Listen, verse 58, I just said it a second ago. It's important, or not 58, 56. I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. It's important that we see how beautiful that is. But one of the reasons why God did this, I think, you look at verse 58, this is the 58. It says, that, meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats to their feet of a young man named Saul. Saul was watching. Saul, Paul, Saul was watching as every stone smashed into Stephen's face, his body. If you've never heard of what stoning is, if you've never actually kind of uh, studied the, the, the context of what stoning is of, or how it was done, go do it, but do it when you have a strong stomach. It's cruel. It's, it's crazy, the, the torture that is involved. But he heard the, the rocks pelting Stephen, and he saw his body becoming just a bloody, mangled mess. And Saul heard Stephen's cries to God, pleas to God, not for salvation, not to for save me, God, from this place. I don't want to be here. No, he heard his pleas for his persecutors. God, save them. They're deceived. They don't know what they're doing. God, redeem them. Save their, save their lives. And then they, they saw God's reflection off of Stephen's face, and then something happened in Saul's heart that he never got over. Because you can look in Acts 9 where he comes to Jesus. That, that seed that was planted in Stephen's life came to fruition in Acts 9. Even in chapter 26 of Acts, you see Saul talking about Stephen's death to the leaders of the nation, saying, I persecuted this man even to death, and I saw Stephen, I saw Stephen with the face of God come, and he, he gave his life, and he was being persecuted, and he, he, he died a martyr's death. And Stephen's blood was the soil that Paul's faith was growing in. And you're starting to see that Stephen's most effective contribution to the kingdom of God came through his death. That doesn't make sense to our American minds. Let me say that again. Stephen's most effective contribution to the kingdom of God came through his martyrdom. It, Paul was not converted by seeing Stephen delivered. Paul wasn't converted by Stephen being taken out of that pit he was being stoned in. Paul was converted by Stephen dying a good death, praying for his persecutors. He was converted by seeing Stephen full of the Holy Spirit, testifying to Jesus' glory in the midst of pain and death. That stuck out with him to the point where it set the stage for Jesus himself to wreck Saul on the road to Damascus to the point that put his life in a different direction. Some of you here this morning need to be wrecked. Some of you here this morning need to come face to face with Jesus and have a touch from the Lord where you're able to be changing the direction of your life. You're allowing God to change the direction of your life because do you understand? Do you understand that the sermons you preach through the pain in your life are much louder than the ones you preach in your blessings? This is different than idols. I'm not talking about blessings being your idols. I'm talking about God blessing your life. Through it all, Good, bad, hurtful, ugly. Stephen's life screamed. What did it scream? It's not about me. It's not about me. It's not about Michael. It's not about you. It's not about you. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. And whether you know that or not, it's still about Jesus. You may be deceived here this morning, but it's about Jesus. The apostle said, widows need to be cared for. What did Stephen say? Where do I sign up? 
The apostle said the gospel needs to be preached to the, the leaders of Israel. Stephen said, I'm in. It, it, but Stephen, it might mean you might die. What did he say? Well, Christ has already died for me. I, don't know, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Stephen's life shouted, it's not about me. He was saying, my life is about one thing. My life is about one thing, and that's pointing people to Jesus. Everything that I do, everything that I say, every life that I live is pointing people to Jesus. It's not about me obtaining a blessing or walking in prosperity, but about directing people's attention away from me and towards Jesus Christ. Away from me and towards Jesus Christ. And the problem with our culture a lot of times is we're notorious about saying one thing but actually living out another, right? We'll say one thing because we want to seem very spiritual in front of people. But when it comes to living things out, we are hard to count, we're hard to find. Last week, I gave, a, I gave you a statistic about the men in our church serving and kids being 6% of the people who are signed up. That's a great analogy. We have a hard time being committed in our church to being who God has called us to be. We say things that sound good, but we don't actually have much action that is involved. We may claim to be faithful followers of Jesus, but are we really generous with our time, generous with our talents, generous with our treasures? Are we jumping at the chance to serve this body? Are we jumping at the chance to share the love of Christ in our jobs and our communities? I'm not talking about some weak um, introduction to Jesus. I'm talking about coming alongside of somebody and with, the, with the chance you might lose your job. Say, this is who Jesus is. You need this man. You need God in this, in this moment. Listen, I may, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a preacher. But this, I'm, this is what Jesus has done in my life. That we overcome by the power of testimony. That's why we're called to bring our testimony to people and love them and show them. So let's make this really personal for you. What is this all about? What is life all about for you? What is it all about for you? Where do you spend most of your time? Where do you spend most of your money? Where do you spend most of your treasures and talents and gifts and abilities? What's it all about for you? Not what your mouth is saying. Not what, this is what I'm saying. No, no. What, is, what does your life say is, is this life all about for you? What is this all about for you? Does your life scream, it's not about me? Or does it preach a different story? Are you committed? Are you content? Are you content if your story doesn't end the way you planned it, but it brings glory to God? Are you, tent, are you content with your plans going haywire? Or are you crowding out the Holy Spirit with your ambition to live your best life on earth? And forgetting the greatest treasure of all is in heaven in the person of Jesus. That's the beauty of it. And this leads me to our last point. God doesn't call all of us to be martyrs. He doesn't call all of us to be martyrs, but he does call all of us to be living sacrifices. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, if you have any pens or or, or markers or Sharpies or crayons or lipstick, underline in view of God's mercy. That's the key that makes this whole verse applicable here. I urge you, brothers, because of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper act of worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect Will. Every Christian follower, every Christ follower in this place, every Christ follower in this world has been called to offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. If you say, hey, I am a Christian, you've been called to live your life as a sacrifice for God. If you're a Christ follower, you're no longer your own. You've been bought with a price. Your life is now hidden with Jesus. No longer, it's no longer you that live, but it's Christ that lives in you. 
Because this is the funny thing, is living sacrifices, this is, this is how they live. You're going to ask yourself, hey, am, I, am I a living sacrifice? Do I, am, I, am I doing this good? No, a living sacrifice, they faithfully and willingly climb onto the altars of self-sacrifice. They faithfully and willingly climb onto the altars of self-sacrifice, and they offer their lives to Jesus. And this is the, this is the part you need to hear. They offer their lives to Jesus with no conditions. God, here's my life. You write it. I don't care what happens. I don't care where I go or who I do it with. God, but here's my life. I'm going to be obedient. And, and then you follow him. You put your yes on the table, and you let God put it on a map somewhere where he sees fit. Stop being in control of your life. Genesis 22, one of my favorite stories of the Bible, Abraham and Isaac. God calls Abraham to sacrifice his only son as a foreshadowing of, G of God sacrificing his only son for us. He asked him to sacrifice his only son. The Bible says he went, well, obeyed immediately. There wasn't no, God, are you serious about this? Because you told me I was going to have a son. Now you want me to kill him. This is getting weird. Like, no, they just got on his donkey and went away. They gone. Isaac, this is the, this is the part for me. Isaac, who was a, was a little boy, willingly got on the altar of Abraham's testing. Do you, you ever notice that part? Why would you do that, Isaac? If you're like my kids, you're going to be running circles around that altar. Like, Abraham, you're going to chase me, Daddy. I ain't getting on this thing. You know, listen, he willingly got on to the altar of Abraham's testing. Why did he do that? Because Isaac trusted his father. Isaac trusted his father because Abraham trusted his. And Isaac watched Abraham trust his father his entire life. And he knew God was faithful, and he knew his dad was faithful, and so he followed Abraham because Abraham followed God. And it's important that we see, that we understand that here's my life, Lord, do as you wish. I decide to follow you, Jesus, and there's no turning back. I'm going to carry my cross until I see you, and there's no, there, even though nobody goes with me, I'm going, to, I'm going to still follow you. And as we read this story in, in Acts 7, we have to ask the question, is where did Jesus get this, or excuse me, where does Stephen get this kind of courage and, and selflessness? And if you look at in verse 55, one more time, you see it says, it says, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven, and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He was standing stretching out his nail-pierced hands to receive Stephen. Jesus, the Lord of the universe, who had given up his life for Stephen, so Stephen would give up his life for Jesus. And then Stephen prayed, Father, forgive them. Where have you heard that before? On the cross, when Jesus died for us. Father, forgive them, because they don't know what they're doing. Stephen is saying the same thing. And don't miss this. Please don't miss this. Stephen is becoming to others what Jesus had been to him. Stephen was come, becoming to other people what Jesus had been to him. He was becoming, he was sacrificing himself for other people so that other people can see Jesus. And so people who believe the gospel start becoming like the gospel. People who understand and see Jesus and see the gospel start becoming like Jesus. And it's natural in scripture. That's the way this happens. And what it looks like is Stephen, he includes a really cool detail in this phrase. It says, I see Jesus standing. And if you look at any other place in Scripture, in the New Testament, it talks about Jesus at the throne of God. It talks about him sitting. But here he's standing, affirmation and recognition and celebration. And so you see, earth was condemning him, but heaven was honoring him. Earth was rejecting Stephen, killing him but heaven was rejoicing. How far does our vision go in the spiritual realm of things in our lives? Are we so fixated on our feet that we can't see above anything? 
And when it looks like Stephen and his life was in the hands of Satan, he was actually in the hands of God. God was overruling all these things for good. Jesus was in charge of it all. Jesus is still in charge of it all, so you can't lose heart. And so if you're here this morning, you don't understand this, I need you to see that Stephen didn't know it, but watching him die was the man who had become the greatest evangelist the world would ever know, and God was using Stephen's death to bring this man to faith. And if you're suffering in this place this morning, or if you're in places that are difficult to obey, you need to see Jesus in that same place, to see that he is in control, to see that he has a bigger plan for your life, and that you're not alone. Just like Stephen, just like, just like Jesus took Stephen's martyrdom and used it to produce the greatest Christian missionary in Paul, he's using your suffering to do the same thing. He's using your suffering to see that whenever Jesus is in the right place in the midst of your trials, he's going to be glorified. So what you have to hear is how well you understand the love of God, the love of Jesus, and his victory over your life determines how well you're going to endure suffering. How well you understand the love of God and the victory that is in Jesus Christ determines how well you endure suffering. If you endure suffering like a kicking and screaming little girl or little boy, it's probably because you don't know that Jesus is in control and he loves you. The person that understands this is going to stand firm because God never wastes the blood or the pain of his people, ever. God never wastes a moment in that. Saul would, have, Saul would one day see the same gl glory that, that Stephen saw and would see the glory of God on the road to Damascus. And you don't have to, and you have to see that he understood that he don't have as much control of his life as he thought he did. He didn't have as much control of his life as he thought he did. And just like that, you as well, you don't have as much control of your life as you think you do. You have to understand that as we're called to submit to him. And so my last question today is, have you, has the gospel captured your heart? Has it captured your full attention away from this world and sent your life to the foot of the cross in submission to him? One of my favorite missionary stories, I actually want to tell you two really quick. In 1948, Jim Elliott, a missionary to the Alca people in Ecuador, wrote in his journal, he said this, he was praying. He says, I seek not a long life, but a full one. Like you, Lord Jesus. I seek not a long life, but a full one. Like you, Lord Jesus. Two years later, he wrote, I must not think it strange if God takes in youth those I would have kept on earth till they were older. God is peopling eternity. And I must not restrict him to old and women and old men. God is peopling eternity. God is building his kingdom. God is building his kingdom. And if I'm a part of God's kingdom, guess what? I'm called to build his kingdom. I'm called to make disciples. I'm called to throw my own comforts out the window. I'm called to love people the way Jesus loves people. Because just like Stephen, Elliot and his four friends went to heaven on January the 8th of 1956 as they were killed by the people that they were going to reach. Everybody in this room is like, what? That's, that was pointless. You spend all that time going over there and they kill you and then you're done. What, what now? Well, if you know the story, what has happened with the Alka people since, since this date is proof that the blood of martyrs is indeed the seed of the church. If you look today, 55% of the Alka people in the world are now Christians. That's an incredible testimony. 55% of the Alka people in the world are now, test, are, are now Christians. Guys, if we're going to be a sending church that reaches the lost in our community 
and sends people to unreached nations in the world, they're going to be sacrifices for the kingdom by people that are sitting in this room. If you're a part of this body. Our culture teaches us to avoid sacrifice and to, to seek personal gain and pleasure. God may be calling someone today and here to move to another city or another nation to be church planners or to be a part of a church planning team or to be missionaries or to love our neighbors. Have you counted the cost to following Jesus? Or have you already told God, no, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow you, but just, just in this box is where I'm going. But listen to this, man. As I read scripture, what I notice is the people who say yes to salvation but no to his mission are treating God like a prostitute. You're using him to get what you want and to get what you need, what you think your eternal needs are, and you're saying no to him as you're trying to disobey. Our greatest desire as a church is that we would spend our lives to see God's name made famous. Christians in here today, we're all sent. For some of us, it's to your neighbors to your schools, to your, to your jobs, but to some of us, it's to the nations. Wherever it is, will you go? Will you say yes to him? Will you say yes and no matter what, will you die to yourselves, your plans, your goals, your dreams like Stephen and be used by him? Because the world is not gonna be touched by you trying to white knuckle a good, a good life. The goal is not morality. The goal is holiness. The goal is not you be a good guy or a good girl, it's holiness for you to be like God. The world will only be reached by you dying to yourself and Jesus coming alive in you, just like Stephen, allowing the presence of God to come alive in you. So if you want, you want to overcome the world like Stephen, serve. Confess with your life that it's not about you. Confess with your mouth that it's not about you, it's about him. Submit to being obedient to the Holy Spirit's leading, whatever the cost. D.L. Moody once said that, There'll be no peace in any soul until it's willing to obey God. And I want to share a quick story with you. Can I share a story with you? Okay, one or two. Okay, good. Okay, I have a paper right here. This is so unprofessional. Sorry about that. There's probably not a better example of this type of life than the first American missionary ever sent overseas. His name was Adoniram Judson. And I, want to read a, I, want to, I want to read you his story. Please listen to this. This is so good. Says the first missionary that the United States ever sent overseas was Adoniram Judson. Judson was so brilliant that when he was 12 years old, he was instructing his church's adult Sunday school class on the book of Revelation. 12 years old. He was so brilliant that people were scared to have conversations with him. When he went to college, he made the fatal mistake of thinking that, this, that he was more brilliant than God. His intellectualism got to him so much that he disavowed and turned from his faith. He went to Providence College in Rhode Island and became a terror to his classmates who were Christians because Justin was so powerful in debate that he would knock them off their beliefs so they would avoid him. He had a roommate by the name of Jacob Ames, and they became very close. Jacob Ames came into Providence College professing, professing Christ and graduated college professing atheism, giving the credit to Adoniram Judson. Many years went by, and the faculty members kept a close eye on Judson, wondering what such a genius was going to do with his life. One day, Justin was riding to New York for a job interview, and at the end of his interview, he was riding back on a horse, of course, to, to Boston. It was a very long ride back, and he, he, he became very exhausted, and he stopped in at an inn to rest. The manager said, says to Justin that he does have a room, but it wasn't, he wasn't going to rent it to him out, out to him because there was a man in the room next door who was very sick. His body was, his, was already shutting down and smelling of decay and death. And he is crying out in anguish and, and with incoherent fits of insanity. But if he wanted the room, the manager said he would rent it. Judson agreed. 
Justin laid awake most of the night listening to this man's anguish and profanity and cries for help. Justin tried to smother the sound with a pillow, tossing and turning. Finally, the, the sound stopped and Justin fell asleep. The next day, he was paying his bill. He asked what happened to the man next door to him, and the manager said that he had died in the night. Justin asked out of curiosity what the man did. And the manager said that he was looking, as he was looking over the man's papers, trying to contact his next of kin, he couldn't understand how a man of this guy's credentials could have died such an ominous death all alone in an inn. The man was an honor graduate from Providence College, the innkeeper said, and his name was Jacob Ames, his roommate. In his biography called The Golden Shore, Judson says, I got on my horse and I started riding back and I could not see in front of me for the tears pouring down my face and the tears were pouring down my face. Two words were pounding into my heart as the hooves of my, hooves of my horse were pounding into the ground and the two words were death, hell, death, hell, death, hell. Justin says, I got off my horse and I knelt on the dusty road and repented bitterly of the way I'd betrayed my God. For Jacob Ames now stood before God delivering up an account of his own soul because I had knocked all out of him any faith he had in God. Justin checked out of the United States immediately and went to India, was kicked out of Calcutta, went to Burma. His first wife died of disease. He remarried because of loneliness and his second wife died of disease. Four of his children died of disease. Two of the mercenary colleagues he had died of persecution. It took him seven years to lead the first person to Christ. Justin was imprisoned by the Burmese authorities because he, his successful preaching of the gospel and many Burmese started to turn to Christ. Justin was put onto a boat after being in prison for 18 months after becoming very sick and couldn't even recognize him anymore because of his illness. And the Burmese authorities knew he was going to die, so they put him on a ship back to the United States, and he never made it. He died on the way back. In Malden, Massachusetts, there's a small grave that said, Here lies Adoniram Judson, born 1788, died 1850. The ocean is as supple. The Burmese Bible is his monument. His record is on high. Justin had translated the Bible into Burmese and into Thai. And Don Richardson points out that the Burmese, in Burmese folklore, there's a legend and that Justin had no clue about this. There was a belief that someday a man was going to come with a book and that would have the truth inside of it. And Justin spent years and years and years producing that book. What I want you to hear this morning, unless we understand the price it takes to follow Jesus at the level the Bible talks about following Jesus, we will never, ever have a personal burden to follow Jesus and to carry out the mission of God. And we will never have a pressure in, within our souls to see the mission of God carried out because we'll be content with going to church on Sundays and going to group once a week and telling people on the side of the road, Jesus loves you, here's a dollar. Listen, no, it's important that we understand that like Stephen, can we say it's not about me, it's about you? I'm convinced that one has died for all, and those of us who live should no longer live for ourselves, but for those other people and to know and love Jesus. And if you don't know Christ in that way this morning, I want to give you an opportunity because, listen, the gospel is that new life in Jesus Christ is received by faith. And what Jesus has done on the cross, his death, his burial, and his resurrection and when a person repents of their sins and asks Jesus Christ to forgive their sin and wash their heart clean, the Bible says they're a new creation. And so if you've been missing that, I pray that you would come and make that decision today. I want to be over here. There'll be some people praying um, for you and with you if you need that. Um, we're going to sing one more song of worship. Um, if you have to go, that's fine. But we're going to stay here as long as the Lord wants us to. And then, um, you know, uh, just don't leave the same way you came. And don't leave without giving yourself over to the Lord. And don't leave without making things right with Jesus this morning. So let me pray for you. God, we love you. We thank you for who you are and what you've done. 
God, I praise you for, for giving us this opportunity to, to, to hear your word, to read your word. Father, I pray that you would just do a work in this place this morning in our hearts. God, the person that's far from you, I pray that you would draw them near. God, I pray that you would uh, do something in our lives today, God, that, that would echo throughout eternity. God, I pray for the person that's far from you that you would just uh, do something in their life now. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.